0: All right, well, we turn to this passage, and uh, it's a great passage for us to look at in the new year. You might say, here we go, uh, a new season of studying God's Bible. Uh, You might have started New Year's resolutions. You may have decided there are gonna be some things that change in your family this year. We have a new beginning for the church. This is the season in which this church, Christ the King, is going to particularize. And, and that's a weird word that Dan said, organize and particular, shove together. And what we're going to be is an independent church as a member of our and We're really excited about that. Um, you may have things in your life. You may be here because a friend invited you. You may have things in your life that you simply want to accomplish. And all of you have asked the question as you've thought of these things, how is this going to be possible? So, for instance, any of you who know me, if I told you that my goal this year was to run a six-minute mile, you would look at me and you go, Bradley, I'm sorry, it's just not possible. I know the engine that you have, and it's not possible for you anymore. And you would actually be right. You could look at the stats and you would be right. But the question is before us. How will you accomplish the things that you desire to accomplish? By what power? The book of Acts is about power. And I want us to look at that power today as we understand that the power that is released in this book of Acts that is promised to us even in this chapter is, one, the power that enabled Jesus. Two, it's the power that enabled the disciples and 3 it is the power that continues that continues to enable the church i want us to look at this book from the very beginning it's where we've started and you all who are in school know that when you come to a new passage you should ask the questions right you should ask who what when where why and what's the last one how how is it going to happen and i want you to look for power in this passage. So look at it with me if you will. Let's look at this quickly. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. Right away you go, wait a minute, who wrote this book called The Acts of the Apostles as it's titled in your book there in front of you? Well, we understand that the author says in the first book, O Theophilus, and if you know the Bible, you know that if you turn to the beginning of Luke, you would read these verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, there's that name again, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so we see in this beginning as we ask the question, who, that we understand that the author of the gospel of Luke, Luke himself, is the one who has written two volumes. And if you're in the women's Bible study or the men's Bible study, hey, this is your two for one semester. And it may even be your two for one, I saw one email of 18 months, have mercy. That would be fantastic. You get to study Luke and you get to study the Acts of the Apostles. The two volumes that Luke wrote to Theophilus. And what we see here is that we understand that Luke is one who traveled with St. Paul. If you were to read some of Paul's letters, you see him reference Luke, that Luke was referenced as a doctor. Luke was a traveling companion of St. Paul. And Luke was also, as he explains in this section, one who was willing to be a, a historian here. And he asked people, hey, what happened? He interviewed people and he said, tell me what happened. Right, So not only was he an, an historian, but he was also a theologian. As you see the way that he put these two letters together for Theophilus, his friend. And he says to Theophilus that you might have certainty about what you have been taught. It may even be the case that Theophilus wasn't even a believer yet. And that Luke was putting together this example, this, this gospel of all the things that Jesus began to do and teach so that Theophilus could be convinced of who Christ was. If you're here today and you would say, look, I'm not a Christian yet. I want you to know these are two great books for you to read. They're fantastic books because they're books that say of themselves that you might have certainty to what is taught in them, right? Luke is most likely not a Jew. He's most likely a Gentile. We see in Colossians that the Apostle Paul writes and he separates Luke out from the others who are members of the circumcision, those who would have been Jews. And he separates out Luke and he says, and also who has been with me is the beloved Dr. Luke. It's an amazing thing to think that almost a quarter of our New Testament has been given to us and written by a non-Jew, a Gentile, who would have been with Paul and who would have been able to interview firsthand, the women and the men, most even possibly Mary, the mother of Christ. That's who, how about what? The two volumes, we've seen that in Luke and in Acts, both address the Theophilus. These two books go together. The idea that they're separated by the book of John is a decision that the church made very early on, but it wasn't the idea that Luke would write one and then maybe I'll write another volume it is the case that these two dovetail together. There are questions that are raised in Luke that aren't answered until Acts, which is pretty fascinating. When was it written? Most likely in the early 60s, possibly even earlier than that, but most likely in the early 60s. It ends with Paul still alive at the end of Acts, with him still alive, homebound, because he was under arrest, but people would come and go to the Apostle Paul and he was writing letters And he was calling Timothy to himself, et cetera, et cetera. Where was it? Most likely Rome. Some people say it was in Antioch, but Paul was in prison in Rome before he died. And that's most likely where it happened. And then why is most clearly answered for us by Luke in this very first chapter of Luke 1 when he says to Theophilus in verse 6 that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The amazing thing is this. The scripture is given to us that we would have certainty about what we have been taught, about who Jesus is, what he began to do and to teach. Are you one who is filled with doubt? I want to tell you one of the best resolutions you could have of the new year is to read the Bible. Read the Bible. The Bible claims that it is itself living and active. Are you struggling with your faith? Are you thinking that maybe your faith that started with a a bang but is going into a whimper might just be dying? I want to encourage you. Read the Bible. This word is written that you and I might have certainty of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, right? And then the question can ask... In Luke and in Acts chapter one. So I want to turn back to that really quickly. And I want you to hear what he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That this idea of the Acts being of the Acts of the Apostles is an interesting title. In fact, a lot of people notice that what is most active in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And some folks have even suggested that maybe the title of the book of Acts should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. One commentator that I read said it probably wouldn't best be described by that because human beings are responding to Christ and acting all the time in this book. And so he suggested that maybe it should be called The Ministry of Jesus from Heaven Through His Apostles by the Holy Spirit. And and he wrote that and he goes, it'll never catch. It's not a good title. You'll never name it that. But the idea is is that it's Jesus' ministry that continues. This idea that in Luke it began, but here we see it continuing. I'm writing to you, O Theophilus. I have dealt in the first book with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up from the disciples, as if he's understanding, and this is what he's continuing to do. And you would have to ask the question, how? How is he continuing to do that? And again, what I want you to see is the answer to that how is the power of the church. It's the power that empowered Christ when he walked on this earth. It's the power for the disciples, and it's the power for us today, the Holy Spirit. That's what we begin to see even in this very beginning of Acts. The Holy Spirit is about, or the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that it is the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus when he was on this earth. Do you remember what happened at Jesus' baptism? Do you remember he came up out of the water and the skies opened? And it says that a dove descended onto the shoulder of Christ and, and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that this dove represented the Holy Spirit on Christ. In Luke chapter four, Luke writes that Jesus, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, was driven into the desert, right? And then when Jesus comes out of the desert, he takes on his own lips the words from Isaiah 61, and he says, the Holy Spirit is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, Right? Jesus claims that he himself is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And why is he empowered by the Holy Spirit? We've learned in verse verse 1 right here to do and to teach everything that he did. Jesus did many miracles empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those miracles. Jesus taught many things. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I don't teach anything that's of my own words. I teach what the Father has given me. The Spirit communicating to Christ, even that... When God makes his voice known to Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says to them, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Because that which Jesus spoke, that which he taught, that which he did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 3, there is emphasis here about Jesus having been raised from the dead, right? Look at it. Until the day when Jesus was taken up, the ascension, after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. Alive to them after his sufferings, crucifixion. Luke is saying, listen, Theophilus, Jesus made himself known to us. He made himself known to us. And we understand that the apostle Paul says in Ephesians, that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So not only is Jesus empowered to do and to teach all that he did, but even being raised from the dead was the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead because of his perfection. Because of his perfection. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he was sinless. And so his perfection could not be exhausted by all the sin that would be attributed to him. And so his righteousness is ours. It is imperative that Christ was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Imperative within Christianity. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, everything else is foolishness if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, but indeed he has. And here we see that he he made himself, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. If you were to turn to the end of Luke 24, this is what you would read that Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's the Holy Spirit that united Christ with the Father again. It's the Holy Spirit in Christ that inaugurated the kingdom of God on this earth in his resurrection. And Jesus says, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are led to repentance and to an understanding of the forgiveness of our sins, thus united to Christ, this kingdom of God, a community of unity, invited to enter in. It's not only the Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit that enabled the disciples here too. Jesus says, look, you need to wait in Jerusalem until I send the gift from the Father, and still you receive from me the power that I have promised to you. And then if you look back at Acts, you can see in the verses that follow our, t- our passage that Jesus again says to them, I'm going to send you the gift that I promised you. It's the disciples who needed the Holy Spirit. Don't think for a minute that resurrection was something that was commonplace in the first, test- in the first century. Resurrection doesn't happen, right? When human beings die, they're dead. Death is real. And so when the disciples saw Jesus walking in their midst, when they didn't believe him and he said, look, stick your hand in my hand and and, and your hand in my side. And and he said, give me something to eat. And he ate fish in front of them. They're shell shocked. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to them at different times. He made Himself known to them. He spoke to them, as it says here, the commandments that the Holy Spirit revealed to Him. And the disciples were amazed. They wondered what had happened. In Luke 24, we're told that Jesus had to open their minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that they would even understand the Scriptures that explained that Christ was the promised Messiah, promised all the way back in our Advent readings from Genesis 3 that he had come to fulfill the entirety of God's plan, that his glory would be made known. The disciples themselves needed the Holy Spirit. They were to learn from the Scriptures. We understand in the New Testament that the writer of Hebrews says of the Scriptures of the the Bible that they're alive and active. And that's by the Holy Spirit. That's straight out of Isaiah 40 that says God's word never goes out from him to return to him void, but always accomplishes what it was sent for. And Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses to this truth about who I am and what I have done by dying on the cross and taking the sins of the world. Jesus said, for me to send you the Spirit, I must ascend to heaven. But when I do, I'm gonna send the Spirit to you. The Father is gonna send the Spirit to you. The Spirit, as the Nicene Creed says, that comes from both the Son and the Father. And Jesus actually says a radical thing to his disciples. He said, you're gonna do things that are more amazing than very things that I have done. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed diseases. But Jesus was the one who did it. What we see in the Acts of the Apostles is that the pouring out of the Spirit allowed the truth of who Christ is to be on the lips of all 120 of these people who were gathered here to proclaim his name. And the magnitude of glory only grew from there. Back at home on the Tennessee River in Chattanooga, there's a mountain called Raccoon Mountain. And not only was it the side of the mountain that we had to run all the time for cross-country practice from the bottom all the way to the top, but the mountain's kind of unique because what it's used for is the storage of water. When the electricity is is cheap, they pump water all the way up to the top of the mountain so that when that electricity is needed, the water pours down the chutes into the turbines and generates enormous power. It's a picture I want you to have. Of what Jesus has promised. I am going to the Father. And from there, we will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that you will be my witnesses. It's amazing. It says in the Bible that there were about 120 people that were gathered in this room when the Holy Spirit was poured out. We're going to get there. That's Acts chapter 2. You know it. But did you know that today in our world, there are 2.3 billion Christians? Listen, this promise was given to the disciples and those gathered in that room. Acts tells us about 120. And now, today in the world, 2.3 billion Christians, almost a third of the world's population. Do you want to know what's amazing? Is that these 2.3 billion people give witness to who God is, these greater works than even Jesus did, is what he promised by the gift of the Spirit. But lastly, this empowering of the Holy Spirit is for the church. What you and I are gonna see as we look through the Gospel of Acts is that as these concentric circles of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as the the Gospel pushes into those, as those concentric circles are blown apart, What we are going to see is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit in each of those groups. One of the ones that will shock you is in Acts 11. And and Peter and John couldn't even believe that God would go to Gentiles, non-Jews, and make his mercy known. And yet he did. He made himself known there. And to prove it, he poured out his Holy Spirit there. We understand that this promise goes to the ends of the earth. 2.3 billion Christians. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter, who was there, says, Look, you people who are part of the church are like living stones among whom the Holy Spirit dwells. The Apostle Paul says to the Christians in this town of Ephesus, I want you to know the hope that you have been called to, God's valuation of you as his rich inheritance, and the power that's at work within you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You see, this power, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit is the power of the church today. It's our power. It's ours. So, What do I want for you and for us in this season? What have I been praying for as I've been thinking of you all? As we would see in this account, the Acts of the Apostles, or as the more thorough title might say, the ministry of Jesus from heaven through his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That as we see that and as we witness it, what do I want from you? What do I want for you, rather? I want the same thing that Luke wanted for Theophilus. I want you to have a conviction of the certainty of what has been taught to you about all that Jesus has done and all that he he has said. That certainty doesn't come from you saying a mantra to yourself. It doesn't come from your own self-discipline It doesn't come from denying anything else to ever enter your head. It comes through God's word, which is living and active, that is written down for us, the church, that we might have certainty of everything that we have been taught about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has said. I want you to have the certainty of the forgiveness of your sins. I want for you all the freedom of repentance and regular repentance. Martin Luther said it was the first of the 95 theses. The life of the Christian is always and continually a life of repentance and faith. I long for that for you, that Christ would be your identity and that the Holy Spirit would be your comforter. He would comfort you when you doubt and when you fear, and when you're covered up with anxiety. I want for you to have a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm praying for you for. I pray that you would know the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in you. I want you to know this. When I think of power, it won't surprise you that I often think of cars, right? I have this awesome car from the 80s, and it has the max power of 138 horsepower. Way to go. I bet a Honda Fit has more than that now. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of horsepower. I read an article today that was talking about, or excuse me, this week, that was talking about a fancy sports car, a Rolls-Royce Phantom. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and this This designer said that he brought this Phantom to his kid's school and he shoved 21 kids into a Rolls-Royce Phantom. A Rolls-Royce Phantom is like the car of all cars. It costs one thing $400,000. For another thing, it has almost 570 horsepower. And this writer said there is nothing like the experience of getting in one to get these kids hooked on the idea of engineering of, of driving, of, of marketing, and then it said, and of wanting luxury cars, right? Now, I've only seen one Rolls-Royce Phantom, and that Rolls-Royce Phantom was in Nigeria. It was at this guy's house that I went to, and it was one of 10 or 11 cars in his parking lot, and, and I thought to myself, I've been in Nigeria for 10 days, and no one has gone more than 30 miles an hour. The traffic is so bad. And yet, And yet, here is this car. Do you know what I want for you? I want you to come and get in the book of Acts with me. I want us to get in it together. Because there's going to be nothing like us getting into the book of Acts to understand its power. And to be able to look at each other and say, this isn't just a car that's parked in our garage. It is in us this spirit is in us what is the power that you depend on to change you know human beings generate about 0.1 horsepower (laughs) 0.1 horsepower you want to know who generates the most horsepower usain bolt within 0.89 seconds of the start of his 100 meter run he generates 3.5 horsepower and it goes down from there For any effort that you want to extend over a long period of time, you and I can only extend 0.1 horsepower. By what power do you hope to live this year? By what power will this church become what God intended it to be? By what power Is the church going to reach into the ends of the earth? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is with us, even now, at work in you and me. That's good news. That's where we're headed. We get to do little chunks, because we're doing this together. And so I want to encourage you. If you get lost, reach out to me during the week. Let's not let anybody get lost. Let's follow along and see what God is going to do in us as we read this book, The Acts of the Apostles. Let's pray.